0: Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Dear Holy Spirit, come into our hearts and quiet our minds so that we can hear your word clearly. Teach us to learn your ways and put them into action. Encourage our faith and strengthen our will. Amen. The scripture today comes from Proverbs Chapter four, verses five through seven. Hear these words. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever else you get, Get insight. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: You're here, right? Like you came back. (laughs) After last week talking about uh, Genesis and creation and evolution, we didn't scare you off. So I'm glad to be uh, here with you today. Last week, almost all of you to a person raised your hand. When I said, how many of you have gotten to a conversation about the Bible or the book of Genesis about creation or evolution? I was like, how many of you have gotten to a conversation about that? And almost all of you raised your hand. And so hopefully today this will uh, be helpful as we continue in this series. Um, and believe it or not, we've been engaging in, um, in something called theology uh, theology is something you go to school for for a fancy degree, but we all do it because theology is just God talk, right? It's talking about God. So whenever you talk about God, guess what? You're a theologian. You are engaging in theology. And we've been kind of sitting under a big umbrella of theology. The fancy word is called apologetics. And you may not know what that means, and that's okay, but you've all engaged in this practice. How many of you have ever had the misfortune of getting into a Facebook argument, right? Okay, yeah, that's apologetics. Uh, <laughs> when you attempt to defend some sort of position, right, that's apologetics. Whenever you're like, no, this is clearly the color blue and you're wrong, that is, um, that is apologetics. So apologetics is just defending, uh, sort of understanding, putting out a logical reason. For our faith, so that's sort of what we've been doing. We've been talking about. We've been talking about thinking for Christians, and uh, there are a lot of people who who do this. Some people do it professionally for a living. No, thank you. Uh, but there are a lot of folks, and some of these names you might know. So I'll just read them very quickly: G. K. Chesterton, C. S. Lewis, Richard Swinburne, Rabbi Zacharias, Francis Collins, Alvin Plantinga. Timothy Keller, Lee Strobel, he wrote The Case for Christ, and Josh McDowell, who wrote a very famous book, More Than a Carpenter. If you're familiar with some of those names, those are apolog- apologists of the faith. Um, Origen, St. Augustine, Tertullian, Thomas Aquinas, Anselm, and Blaise Plascal. Any, um, any mathematicians in here? All right? No? None? If you've ever taken a high school geometry class... Binomial coefficients. That's Pascal. That's him. He was a Catholic, a mathematician, and an apologist. Kind of his wheelhouse. He was also a child prodigy. So if you want to do both, it's got to be a child prodigy, I suppose. But I can't tell you the number of times that I've had conversations with people about God, about free will, about the Bible, about like is Jesus God or, or what is Sin Or how should I live morally? Or is it okay to boo the patriots? These are all sort of conversations I have on a daily basis as a pastor. Um, and the answer to the last one is, of course, right? It's totally okay. Don't cheat. Okay, and the, <laughs> the, the number of uh, sort of atheists and agnostics that I, that I come across to sort of engage in this, and then they sort of get confused. They, they have this idea that if you have a brain... If maybe you have an education, then they're very surprised when they find out maybe you go to church. Uh, There's this kind of, uh, an interesting thing that happens when you kind of do data collection, when you sample sizes of the population. And there's um, some some sort of correlation between the more education you have, generally speaking, the more kind of liberal and the more non-religious that population group Becomes, And so when you meet someone who has, like, a two-year degree, a four-year degree, or a master's or a PhD, and they're like, and they're a faithful Christian, most people in those circles are very confused, right? Bless their little hearts. They're just uh, they're very confused. And they love to quote Marx. Um, Karl Marx said, religion is the opiate of the masses. How many of you have heard that quotation used before? And the majority of us, right? It's the wrong quotation, and that's okay, right? It's really a paraphrase. He wrote these words when he was twenty-six years old. He said, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a restless world, and the soul of soulless conditions. It's the opium of the people. That's really what he said. But they love to kind of quote Karl Marx and say, Oh, look, religion, it's it's for all the, the people out there, not for us intellectuals. And today I want to push back on that a little bit and say that there is room at the table. For you to have your brain fully intact into to worship God. And that is a beautiful thing. That you don't have to check your brain at the door out there. We don't give you a number and say, number 38, come claim it when you're done with the service. Right? You don't have to do that. You can fully engage your relationship with God with all of your faculties. No matter if you're the, the sharpest person in here. Or maybe you, you just don't really care about education. And that's okay. All along the spectrum, you can engage your faith with your whole person. I think that is beautiful, wonderful, good news for us. I like to remind people a little bit of history. I'll engage with my friends who are atheists and agnostic, and they'll be like, oh yeah, religion, that'll really cure you of, uh, you know, if you go get an education, that'll cure you of your religion. And I like to remind people that places like Harvard and Yale and Princeton were started by the church. <laughs> like, they, they invented education in America. John Harvard donated all of his library, he happened to be a minister, donated half of his estate, and that began Harvard University. And so people like to say, well, yeah, go to Harvard, because they'll cure you of your religion. And you're like, you, do you realize like, that school was started by a minister? Like, if it wasn't for the faith that you're trying to get rid of, then we wouldn't have that education available to us. It's sort of this deep irony. I love it. The motto of Yale is Urim V thumim which means light and truth. It's the inscription on the high priest's breastplate that serves the tabernacle of the Most High God. You cannot pull apart education and faith. It's, a, it's powerful stuff. Methodists... That'd be be us. (laughs) United Methodists believe in particular that education is a basic right of all people. You can find it in our social principles. We believe that we should be building schools because with an education that gives all of our children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews an opportunity to become their most full, beautiful selves. It's a basic human right. Education is important and vital and communities. And we should be on the forefront of pushing for education as United Methodists. Pastor Peter went to this slouch of an academic institution. It's called do I don't I don't know if I'm saying it right all the time. And I went to this itty bitty school in Dallas called Southern Methodist University. Like like Methodists believe in education, I was recently at a funeral and the, a Baptist minister was doing the, the thing and he was like, why aren't you ordained yet? And I was like, well, you know, United Methodists have a process. We've we got to go to seminary. He's like, oh, yes, yes, Methodists and their education. Like it is a high value in our community, a high value in our community that we experience education at its best. And so I befriend these folks who believe in God, and uh, who don't believe in God, right? And they're atheists, and they're not sure what they believe, and they're agnostic. And then they're confused when they meet my wife, who's a scientist, and she believes in God, right? And they're confused when they meet me, and I, and I have a degree, and they're like, but you believe in God. It's like, people, like, this is a wonderful thing. You can engage your faith with your whole self and your mind. So can you be a Christian and be educated, is it wise to be a Christian? The answer to that first question is yes. Full stop. It is wise to be a Christian. I'm amazed that we have this big old book, of the Bible. We've got 66 little tiny books that are divided up Old and New Testament. And in the middle of that huge chunk of scripture, we have this genre called the wisdom literature. And then there's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. Those make up the wisdom literature of the ancients. And we heard from Proverbs. It said the passage today talks about the the beginning of wisdom is this. The beginning of wisdom is get insight. Be wise. Some of those words are even found on the lips of Jesus. Be wise. We are to, to seek after wisdom. That is to shape and form who we are. Wisdom is in short supply in our society today. We love information But wisdom, we're not so sure about. We love to Google it and know, but applying that, I don't know about that. Why should I ask someone with more gray hair than me when I can just Google it? (laughs) Right? Wisdom is in short supply today in our generation, in our time and age. So today I want to engage in a little wisdom. As the prophet Isaiah says, Come, let us reason together. As Paul gathered folks at Mars Hill and said, I see all these idols, and he begins reasoning with the people. As Jesus did, he gathered people together and said, well, The kingdom of God is like, and the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus was reasoning with them, and, and telling stories, and, and showing wisdom. So I want to engage in a little reason and spend some time helping us to understand two things. Right? Because if I had one, you'd think that I didn't... You've heard this joke. If I had one, you didn't think that I didn't prepare... If I had three, no one remembers three. So two things today. Two things, right? Two things. Can we prove that God exists? First question. Can we prove that God exists? First question. Second thing is, what is a good way to engage our reasoning and our faith? It's one thing to say it, right? Right, preacher? One thing to say it, but like, can you give me a tool so I can actually engage my reason and my faith? We're going to try that today. So one, does God exist? Can we prove it? And two, give me a tool to engage it. Fair? The two things that we're going to wrestle with. So, number one, can we prove God's existence? No, we can't. Moving on. Number two. So, uh, (laughs) no, I (laughs) want to engage us a little bit more, right? And that is to say that, no, we cannot prove God's existence, right? If we could have, someone already would have. So you cannot definitively prove it, 100%, without a doubt. But... There are some things that make it plausible. Fair? So this is what I say with some of my friends who don't believe in God, who hate God, who aren't sure about the church. They say, you can't prove to me God's existence. I say, caught me. I can't. But I can talk about maybe why we're here. I can talk about things that sort of are troubling to think about. So anyways, let's talk about this can of soup. It's actually, it's green beans. But we'll talk about (laughs) green beans, okay? This is a a fancy argument. I'm not going to go into all the details because no one cares about the history of the philosophy, right? No one. Okay, one, no, quiet. Right, no one. We won't go into all the details. It doesn't matter. Can of green beans, right? This can of green beans is here. You cannot deny its existence. If I throw it at you, you will attempt to dodge, right? You'll say, it's real, it's real, I promise, right? You can touch it. You can open it. You can eat it, right? You can hear it. You can measure it. You can see it hear the sound of it, right? It is is a real can of green beans. It exists, much like our world exists. You can measure it. You can feel it. You can plant a seed and flowers grow. You can engage with the world around you and see that it's here. This can of green beans, you can see that it's here. So did this can of green beans have a beginning? Yes, in the same way we can look at stars in the sky and see something that's called red shift and we can see that all this had some sort of point of beginning in our universe. We like to call it the theory of the Big Bang, right? And we can kind of go back all the way in time and say, look, there was a beginning to our world, to our cosmos, to our universe. There was a beginning. Before that, we don't know. Something had to cause that beginning. Why, you ask? Has anyone ever seen a can of green beans just materialize in the middle of the room and go, oh my goodness, a can of green beans? No, it doesn't happen. Nothing, 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 nothing has ever come into being that did not first have an origin. Nothing has ever come into existence that at first did not have a beginning. And so we observe the world around us and we have to ask the question, what started all of this? And that's where you can debate for another four hours, right? But it's ridiculous to say, well, it's always existed. No, it hasn't. Science has proven that it had a definitive starting point. It hasn't always existed. So what started it? Well, we are all one with the great example of leaves. And you're like, no, no. You can talk about evolution and the process and how things have changed. Something is guiding this process. Something started it, and something is moving it forward. Now, I'm not going to give you all the different points of conversation beyond that, but to say like this is all just random chance, you got way more faith than I do. Right, I think something started this and something is moving it along because nothing kind of pops into existence without some sort of cause, without some sort of creator. And that's a powerful conversation to have with people. So can I prove that God exists? No, I cannot. But I think I can pretty much prove that something started something. And then I ask the question... Well, what was that something? Or the question, how has God revealed God's self? That's a different conversation for most people to have, right? So can we prove God's existence? No, but you can prove a can of green beans had a beginning. So i like to use that one. All right. All right, that was the first point. Second point is, and I have to do this without notes, but the second point is, is there something that we can somehow engage our reason with, Right? Something. things are a tool that we have. The first is this stool. It's a visual aid. You'll never forget this moment. It's okay. <laughs> when the preacher stood on a stool, right? So us as Methodists have something that we stand on, have something that we engage, have something that we use, and it has four legs. It has four things that we are, we are rooted in. The first, and this is called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, if you're taking notes, The first leg is scripture. And all that I do as a Christian, I bring all myself to scripture. And I say, what does scripture say about how I should live? How I should think? Right? I bring all myself to scripture. The second one is tradition. Right? What has the church universal said since time beginning? What has the church universal said since time beginning? And the third one that we engage in is reason. What, is my, what does my mind say about the idea? And the last one that we engage in is experience. And all of these kind of work together to hold me up, to inform my conversation with other people. So let's take a controversial issue like we've been talking about, evolution, creation. Okay, it's easy. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we'll take evolution and creation. We say, what does the first part is scripture, say scripture with me. That was pretty good. We'll try harder next time. So what does Scripture say about it? We'll say we we'll say that God created. Okay, well, then can we look at evolution? Is that exactly contradictory? We already talked about that. Okay, so Scripture. And then we'll say the second part is tradition. Say tradition. 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 So what does tradition say about it? Well, the church has taught that, that God has created and been involved in the process. God is not a hands-off God. God is involved right, so scripture, tradition. The third one is reason. Say reason with me. Reason. All right, so then I can use my intellect. I can engage scripture, tradition, and my faith with my mind. Reason. And the last one is experience. Say experience. Experience. All right, what does my experience tell me as I live my life, as I walk through my friendships and relationships? What does my experience reveal to me about God and my faith? And those four things engage in a conversation. And help me live a more faithful life as a follower of Jesus. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And I think that's a helpful tool when we sort of say, can you use your mind and logic in your faith? Yes, it is a part of us, our heritage as Methodists. Now I have to dismount, and that will be very interesting. Okay, so <laughs> ten points. Oh, very good. So. part when you leave your notes and you don't know where you are. Okay. So, So what do we do with all this information? What do we do with this idea that maybe you can prove this idea of a beginning and this idea of sort of something guiding and walking through the process with us? And then what do we do with this idea of scripture, reason, tradition and experience? How do we use our minds faithfully? And what do we go where do we go from here? I want to leave us with three things. There's your three. First, right? is that our reasoning and our faith should not be separated. I hope that's apparent to you today. Our reasoning and our faith should not be separated. Anselm of canterbury he's a, a long dead guy, uh, died a long time ago, uh, he's a Catholic. He said when trying to define how he would think about God, he used this phrase that it is faith seeking understanding. When you think about God, it's, It's faith seeking understanding. And I sometimes like to flip that around as well. That it's sometimes my understanding seeking faith. It's both and. It's faith seeking understanding and understanding seeking faith. The second thing that I want to walk away with today is that we need to make room for other people at the table. It is okay to sit down at the table and have a good disagreement with someone. It is okay if you believe that God created the world in seven literal days. There is room for you at the table. And it is okay for you if you don't think God created the world in seven literal days. There is room for you at the table. And there is room for all viewpoints sort of in between. Because at the end of the day there is one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. We all worship the God Most High. And there is room at the table for differing opinions when our logics sort of disagree and go back and forth. As iron sharpens iron, so another person sharpens another person. That's also in the wisdom literature. So may we bring our full intellect to the conversation, and it's okay to disagree. We have to make room for other people. The third thing that I think we need to walk away with today, and this is huge, this is big for me, maybe big for you if you're, I don't know, an engineer, Uh, big for you if you have a lot of science background, that people are not ruled by logic. You can give them the most detailed argument about why you think God exists and why you think Christianity is the best way to live your life. But at the end of the day, people are not ruled by logic. And that's okay. People are compelled by stories. And so I think maybe what we need to do is let off that reason side of the quadrilateral, of the stool, and lean more into that experience. walk alongside people and have them come and see what God is doing here in this place. I think that is a better way to live faithfully in the community. Not to give them some sort of A, B, C, D argument. But to say, come and see. Come and see what God is doing. Because there are things in my faith that, that don't make sense, that are not logical, right? A dead Jewish guy on a tree saves the world. Right? Loving my enemy... That makes no sense. Somehow at the table, I find grace. That makes no sense. But those things are powerful. Those things are true. Those things change who we are. Those things shape and form the community. And these, these things define how we relate with God and with others. And so in our logic and reasoning, may we not be afraid to engage our faith. May we make room for others, and may we continually grow in our faith as we take our next steps in our journey with Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.